Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 533-42 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. We got word from the NCAA this morning that Jalen Brooks would be immediately eligible. Uh, Jalen's worked extremely hard. Uh, really excited for him. I appreciate the NCAA's decision. I want to really thank Ray Tanner, Jeff Whitehead, and Chance Miller on the job that they did for us and, and working. Uh, to continue to, to get the information the NCAA needed uh, in, in order to uh, to make him eligible. So I'm uh, really happy for this young man. He's worked extremely hard. He's never complained. Uh, you know, we, we're doing so much good on good work right now. He's been with our offense a lot. So um, we expect him to contribute on Saturday. I'll open up for any questions. Man, I really like those cold opens with Will Muschamp talking, and I think – you guys do too, because that usually means something good has happened. And y'all, y'all better knock on some wood, because right now, good things are happening for the South Carolina Gamecocks. And y'all are way happier to join the show when good things are happening. It's way easier to talk about it. The shows just fly by when good things are happening. The Gamecocks, as you heard right there, and if you're on the show, I'm sure you already know, uh, Jalen Brooks getting the huge news today, um, really at practice, getting surprised by Muschamp. And uh, now he's eligible, able to play this week. A long time coming for Jalen. You could tell any anybody that follows, and, and generally, y'all, I don't really condone following the day-to-day uh, reactions of teenagers on Twitter. But you could tell, you know, Jalen is, is a guy that sort of um, – you know, put put some of his life out there on, on Twitter, and uh, you can sort of 
follow this journey of, of his on there. And I think you could tell, man, this has been weighing on him, uh, this just waiting out process for the NCAA. And today is officially hashtag free Jalen Brooks day. He is able to play now. And Chris, you got to be happy for the kid, dude, because even this is not a guy that we've like known for three or four years in the recruiting process, but he's one of those guys that instantly, when I talked to him for the first time after he committed to South Carolina, I know you talked to Jason Seidel a bit for a story, his former coach. You just instantly start pulling for this guy, and I, I'm just really, really happy for him that, that this turned out well because I was starting to think that it just wasn't going to happen this season. Yeah, man, the timing, you know, certainly did not make you think something good was about to come down the pipe, right? I mean, and, and so you got to be really happy for the kid. I go back to that conversation that you referenced earlier where I talked to Jason Seidel, who was Jalen's high school coach in North Carolina, now the head coach at Blythewood High. And, you know, one thing that Seidel mentioned was how Jalen, you know, I guess pre-COVID, uh, just to throw that in there, would come around the team a lot in the weight room. And even got to know a lot of his players at Blythewood and kept, and they would all keep in contact. You know, you saw when Jalen initially committed to South Carolina before he had even requested to become immediately eligible. You know, a lot of Blythewood players, a lot of people from back in North Carolina on social media were all congratulating him. So he's a guy that I think uh, someone that people tend to gravitate towards a little bit. You know, looking at the reaction today, really cool video that Gamecock Football's Twitter account put out where Will Muschamp you know, getting the news from Jeff Whitehead and Chance Miller, announcing it to the team. Saw a lot of people coming up and, and uh, you know, giving props to Jalen. Sort of reminded me of when uh, DeCarion Joyner scored against Vanderbilt. Just a guy that's sort of been through a lot, right? And so I think people respect that. Jalen didn't complain. He kept his head down. You could tell that it, it was difficult on him because he wanted to get on the field. You know, he wanted to get back closer to home and he wanted to play uh, sort of a dream opportunity for him. And so it's great that you know, he gets that chance, and he's a guy that could help out South Carolina, you know, starting this weekend. Yeah, so starting this weekend being the key for South Carolina, it is right off the bat. And like you said, man, I, I mean, and, and interestingly enough, if you look at, you know, you mentioned the reaction from on Joyner and or the team when Joyner scored, Joyner was one of the first people over there to, to really grab Jalen Brooks after – he gets the news and, you know, hey, you worked for this, man. This is what you worked for. So, uh, you man, you, you can tell. that That's what, you know, you can talk about all the stuff that got us to the point of whether there was going to be a college football season this year. And look at, at a clip like that. Look at a clip of, you know, a, a walk-on getting a scholarship and just uh, all, the, all the things these kids have gone through this year to be able to play. Um, you know, that that's really – that reaction right there is why you have college sports and why you have college football. And that really just fun to see. Um, dude, when, when he initially got added to the roster, I don't know if we've ever had our Twitter blow up with more just former teammates or, or pra- you know, just practice mates like what you're talking about, guys. Because, I mean, these days – all these kids, a lot of them know each other, and they'll get work in together even if they're not on the same team. So um, I've never seen the Gamecock Central Twitter account blow up with more people just congratulating a kid than when we initially 
I can't remember if it was him just being added to the roster or him committing, one of the two. Uh, but but just you could tell this guy has has really just earned the respect of everybody around him. And to come in and do it really in just a couple of months, uh, you know, at South Carolina, I, I think says a lot. So, all right, the big question everybody wants to know, how good is Jalen Brooks? How quickly can Jalen Brooks make an impact? And what should you, as a South Carolina fan watching or listening, expect from Jalen Brooks both Saturday and long-term this season and long-term for the rest of his career at South Carolina? It it really works out that this season doesn't count for the guys, so he's able to come back. He'll play, but he'll still be a junior next year. He can get in six games with South Carolina and, and then sort of go from there. But I'll give my take in a second. Chris? I'm going to ask you the most open-ended question I've ever asked you. How good is Jalen Brooks? I, I, I don't know if that's the most open-ended. There's uh, got to be another one, but close, close. So here's how I think about it. Um, because there's been so much conversation about it, you know, um, and because Jalen Brooks was penciled in, you know, before this season as a starter, and because we've heard some good things about his game, my – Fear, I guess you could say, is that some people are going to expect too much. We talked about this with recruiting the other day, right? Four and five star kid coming in, depending on the position. If he's not immediately playing 60 snaps and, you know, if he's a defensive lineman, he needs to get a snap, a sack his first game. If he's, you know, wide receiver, he needs to score a touchdown the first game or have five catches. And if not, then, oh, did, is he a whiff? You know what I mean? It's, it's a microwave type society. And, and that's fine. I mean, people are really diehard about college football. That's great. That's why we're here. <laughs> so I'm glad about that. But I do want to caution, because South Carolina is getting a guy who has starter capability on this team, you know, don't set the bar so high that it's automatically this guy's going to come in and, and be Alshon Jeffrey or something. You know, I, I just – I don't want people to think that. Now, what, what can he bring? What are the positives? He's a kid with length who can run. We talk about vertical presence for South Carolina. That's what they're lacking. Aside from Shy Smith, we've seen very few deep balls. I think three for 12 is the updated metric past 20 yards for South Carolina. There have been a variety of reasons for that. You know, Xavier Leggett won one 50-50 ball. Not a lot of 50-50 balls or deep balls being won by South Carolina. So that's an area in which Jalen Brooks can help out. Even if he's not out there catching several of them, he can threaten the defense vertically which could open things up. So far, Mike Bobo's had to do that more schematically. Now you have an additional guy on the roster who can potentially help you with that. Um, He's also someone that I think could play a key role in special teams. You know, go put him out there as a gunner, cover kicks, cover punts. Um, He's got the speed and the length to be able to do that as well. You know, will he start this weekend? I don't know. You know, they, they have had to keep in mind that he's not eligible to date, that he may not become eligible so they have had to give other guys a lot of opportunities in practice because they need the Josh Vans and Xavier Leggett's and to carry on joiners. They need all those guys to improve too. But I could see his role increasing throughout the season. And and at one point, man, there's a reason for it, that, that he was working with the ones. So long kid that can run. I think he gives South Carolina a vertical presence and could go snag a deep ball or two for them. And anything that he can add to this receiver core is a positive in my book. Well, now that you've given the conservative answer, 
I'm going to go ahead and just overhype him completely. Oh, are you? And go, and go against everything you just said. Great. Um, I like it. I, but but in all seriousness, I, I, I don't want to go too far because it's not fair, especially considering he didn't have an entire offense or an entire offseason to get settled with the offense. Yep. Um, then, like you said, the, the fact that, you know, he hasn't been able to work completely with the ones like against a scout team and stuff like that. But the single biggest question mark for this South Carolina football team for the entire offseason and now, frankly, for the first four games has been the wide receiver position. So I don't think it's even that far-fetched at all. In fact, I would say very comfortably, I think Jalen Brooks can immediately become South Carolina's number two wide receiver. Um, Shai, Shai Smith has sort of established himself. We've all seen what he can do. We've all seen the ability there. But there is, as you said, a reason why he instantly stepped in and started being talked about as a starter. So will he start Saturday? I don't know. We'll see. And, and Muschamp, Muschamp was actually asked that on the teleconference. Will he start? And because the news was basically so fresh for them as well, um, he had just gotten off the practice fields. He hadn't even sat down with the offensive staff to talk about the plan now that Brooks is eligible. So that's something, Chris, maybe we find out a little bit more on the call-in show on Thursday. Maybe not. But I think at the very least, conservatively, we can say he will be on the field a lot on Saturday. And I'm I'm not going to be surprised if he just starts. So – We'll see. I think there. This is this is obviously a positive development for the receiving core. We saw a little flash from from Josh Van on Saturday as well, and I've also heard some really good things all of a sudden about Jakari Caldwell as being someone who has made some plays in practice. Uh, you're always with a freshman looking at someone to show they they know the offense very very well. That's the hardest part of that aspect of it for a freshman. So we'll see if Jakari can continue to come on. But the physical aspect for Jakari, it's there. He's making plays in practice. He's a guy to watch. So maybe as the year goes on, the receiving core can sort of come on. It's never going to be the strength of this team. But maybe it can elevate itself from being the spot we're talking about every single week as being – one of the lesser thought of spots on this team. Yeah. Can you, can you get better from game one to game five and, and in particular game 10, you know, that's the key. And I think, you know, Will Muschamp has at least publicly said that he felt like they've made some strides that some guys have improved in terms of their practice play. And obviously if you're improving in practice, that's going to give you a much better chance to go out there and do it in a game. Doesn't always mean that. But if you're not performing well in practice, chances of you going out as a receiver and just showing out on Saturday, probably not very high, right? So to have a van 
Xavier Leggett. I mean, Xavier Leggett's got a ton of room to grow, right? To get Xavier Leggett, have Jalen Brooks, to have him, first of all, just get out there, get his feet wet, but can he make some plays? He'll continue to improve. He's got upside. He's got potential. Josh Van, Jakari Caldwell, Rico Powers, you know, still in that mix as a freshman. They have some guys um, that has some ability, and, and there's just sort of a mixed bag of reason why it haven't hasn't worked out so far. Um, you know, Josh Van, Josh is going to be like 35 years old, and we'll still be sitting here doing this show, and I'm going to say, you know what, I think I think Josh has a chance to be a really good player. I, I, I think he shows enough flashes, man. You think about he had a, a, a really – outstanding just individual play. I think it was against A&M last year. Look at what he did last week against Auburn. One catch, not, you know, anointing him, but he's a guy that has the ability to make those types of plays. So can he be more consistent? Can he get more opportunities? Can he do more with them? But I think some of those guys can continue to progress. That's a positive. If this can be, like you said, man, just a, a solid group by the end of the year, that could that could help this offense a lot, and I think that's why there's some internal and fan excitement about Jalen Brooks. Is because he brings a little bit of a different element to this team with more length and more speed uh, that Mike Bobo can now incorporate into that offense. Yeah, and I think some of that with Van Man is you and I still, at least I personally still go back to what we saw from him at camp yeah. a few years ago and, and on high school film. Yeah, I, I I wish I wish y'all could have been there, watching just how good Van's hands looked in the camp setting. Like if you had told me that he would have issues catching the football in college, that he would be the guy. If you if you listed ten of South Carolina's receiving signees the last few years and said which guy will have some struggles in that department. Josh Van would not have been in the top eight, you know, as far as guys I would think would have issues, you know, like he caught the ball so naturally and with his hands as opposed to his body. So it has been very, very strange to see that for me after seeing what he was able to do in high school and seeing what he was able to do in a camp setting when we got to see him up close here at South Carolina. Um, As far as, a little bit more on Brooks. I saw somebody ask again. Yes, he he will play Saturday. He'll be on the field. How much? You know, nobody knows. But I do think, you know, they've they've changed their approach to practice a little bit this year, Chris. Not a lot of scout team work. Some of that, and, and I frankly don't understand all of this completely, but it's because of contact tracing with COVID they have changed the way they structure things a little bit as well. And so it's a lot more just ones versus ones, which means you're running your offense and he, he was, so he was on the scout team. So part of practice, yes, he was running the opponent's offense, but from what Muschamp said today, they were doing like two scout team segments of practice, which is way less than usual. Plus, South Carolina has what they call their uh, their Sunday developmental practices, which is where guys who aren't playing are able to get out there and get in some extra work, which I think really helps young guys and helps new guys get reps when they otherwise wouldn't. So will there be – Chris, I, I think there will be a little bit of sort of a get-into-the-mix um, you know, process. There always is. 
because he'll be playing in his first ever SEC game. So there's always that aspect. But as far as just him being ready, like as far as knowing the offense, all that stuff, um, I don't really know that it's a huge concern because one thing Muschamp keeps reiterating is that he's a, just a really sharp kid. They're, they even said he can play multiple positions within the offense. And if there's one thing we've seen, it's that coaches don't move guys around to multiple spots if they haven't learned, if they can't learn one spot. You know, like if it was really an issue, you'd say, hey, you're going to play this receiver position, learn it, and stick to that. They wouldn't be saying, hey, you can play multiple receiver positions if that was remotely a concern at all. Yeah. Yeah, that positional versatility is big, you know, and um, certainly when you look at Brooks, I mean, you saw what he did in college now, lesser competition, sure, but what you try to do is take his skill set and project it. He can go over the middle on some drag routes, he can run your square ends, he can run outs, but the vertical presence, you know, again, that's something we keep going back to. Um, he can give you that. And so as far as the learning curve, one thing that we talked about a lot in the offseason that Will Muschamp's mentioned is from just an installation standpoint, They've had a lot of meeting time. You know, they've had a lot of meeting time, whether it's virtual, whether it was when the OTAs started, you know, from, from the time that the virtual meetings began to the OTAs when the players are on the field, you know, not fully padded or anything, but out there working with the ball. And then you get into, you know, your preseason practice. There's a lot of time and a lot of carryover, you know, when you're talking about installation and going out there and getting reps, and then the players can go out and do some stuff on their own. Will Muschamp was talking about Cam, Cam Smith the other day, um, just about him improving. I think this is before his injury. And he said, yeah, he's out there a lot. He and Jalen Brooks are out there going against each other. So Jalen's still been able to get plenty of work. And, you know, op- uh, the open of preseason camp, he's out there with the ones. So he clearly knows what he's doing, you know, from a route tree standpoint, from an offensive standpoint. So will he have to get back into it a little bit more if they – do want to put him in the starting lineup? Sure. I mean, it's going to be a little bit of an adjustment getting back into it, but physically he has some ability, obviously. And then from a, a mental, you know, football IQ standpoint, it looks like he's pretty good in that department too. Yeah, and I think the the next question for me, Chris, is going to be as he moves in, I, I feel like I, I used to have – I personally used to have a better feel for the different wide receiver positions – within the offense and and since Bobo has taken over I don't have quite as good of a feel I, I know so Leggett and and Rico Powers are basically essentially playing the same exact receiver spot within the offense Shy Smith and Luke Doty are um, then you, you you know you have guys that can move around Shy can play all of them I think so I'll be curious to see when Jalen comes onto the field who else is out there with him we know they'll get Shy and Jalen on the field at the same time when they're three wides, is it Shy, Jalen, you know, and Leggett? Is there room to get all three of them on the field at the same time? Is it Shy, Brooks, and, you know, a joiner or a van? And how how many of these guys do have that positional versatility that you're talking about to where you can sort of move them around and slide them to where it gets the guys you want on the field on the field? You know, so I think that will be something just – Within the game, people that like those little details, I always pay attention to stuff like that that I'll be curious to see and that I don't know yet, mm-hmm. um, you know, on, on Saturday. But my, my biggest takeaway, Brooks, 
I think I can very safely say can step right in and be South Carolina's potentially number two receiver just based on everything I've heard since he first arrived on South Carolina's campus. And as much as, and this is a jam packed show, by the way, because as much as we've had to talk about with Jalen Brooks, we also have a special guest coming up very shortly. And we, uh, I don't even know if I've talked about it at the beginning of the show. And I don't even think I've told everybody about AffordableMedicalUSA.com, home of the game day chair. So, Chris, before I just get running my mouth even more, go ahead. Tell everybody about the game day chair. Yes, so the game day chair, if you're on YouTube, check out the top left corner. There's a little picture of the game day chair. But more importantly, go to AffordableMedicalUSA.com. The technical name for the game day chair is the Maxi Comfort Cloud with Twilight. It's got power pillow, lumbar support. Basically, just the most awesome, most luxurious recliner that you will ever find. Um, awesome for your game day, you know, college football watching experience, your Sunday NFL experience, Netflix, whatever you got going on. Make sure you check out the game day chair if you're on YouTube. Right below in the description, you can click on our link down there and go check out everything about the game day chair. If you got any questions, let me know. Let us know. We'll be glad to point you in the right direction. They are the reason that we can do this show on a daily basis. So make sure you support those guys and check out the game day chair. Yeah, please support them. Uh, that helps support us. And also I want to sort of give a, a shout out to our friends at market on main as well. We will be there Friday, uh, one o'clock, I think is what we're looking at. Um, we'll let you know for sure, but that's right now what we're looking at. We'll be out there for lunch. We're going to have some grub. If you're in the area, if you work in the area or if you had the day off, come say what's up. We'd love to talk some ball with you and, well, that'll be sort of our little final preview before the LSU game. And then, as always, they'll be showing the game at their on their huge 23-foot LED outdoor screen. And I, I think, uh, if y'all want to come out, I think I'm going to be at the game at Market. Um, or I'm going to be at Market for the game on Saturday night. So I'm going to be out there with my girlfriend and some friends, and uh, we'll go check it out. So hopefully I can see some of you and meet you in person. So uh, as we sort of... I guess the day has gone on. We learned the Jalen Brooks news. It's actually strangely overshadowed some things about the actual game that we otherwise probably would have led with, Chris. And that would be that Miles Brennan, as much as we knew that he was questionable was the word and seemed even leaning towards doubtful earlier in the week, that was confirmed. And even, you know, it, it was funny. He never... Orgeron never used the word doubtful. He said he's very questionable, which to me means he's doubtful. But he, you know, he went as far as to say, I think he's not going to play. Like, we don't think he's going to play. Mm-hmm. So at this point, unless, I mean, he even used the word, he said miraculous, unless there's a miraculous healing job this week, uh, if he pulls a Connor Shaw, maybe, which we saw a few times, where he just like Wolverine regrows, you know, limbs and stuff and <laughs> finds a way to play. Yeah. Um, He's going to be out this week, it seems. That's big, man. You know, I spent part of this morning going back and watching LSU and Missouri. What a game. That was a – did you watch that? What a weird – No, I didn't. Weird game. Lots of big plays, lots of uh, defensive mishaps, (laughs) lots of throws down the field on the parts of both teams. Miles Brennan was pretty impressive, man. I think um, he's a big guy who can – scramble out of the pocket and run it a little bit, throw on the run, throw the deep ball. 
LSU's got some guys. Uh, when you talk about Terrace Marshall and Eric Gilbert, got some backs. So Miles Brennan can hurt you. And if he's not playing, which again is what we think, and that was confirmed more today, strengthened, I guess you could say, that's big. You know, LSU, they've got a couple guys that we broke down yesterday and TJ Finley, Max Johnson, who from an arm talent standpoint, yeah, they're capable, but they're not Miles Brennan, you know, in experience. And I don't think right now they're Miles Brennan in talent, you know, with just what we have to go on. So that is a big storyline in this game and something that certainly you've got to see as an opportunity um, if you're South Carolina, if you're their defensive staff, if you're their defensive players. No doubt. So, uh, Chris, if you're ready, let's let's go ahead and go out to this interview. Um, this is Jarrett Roser. He is one of the writers for TigerDetails.com. One thing we found, based on the feedback you all have given us, is that you have liked when we have the guests from other teams on here. And um, Jarrett, very, very busy dude right now, as we all are, so really appreciate him giving us some time. I actually I just recorded this interview a couple of hours ago, so it, it's really up to date, even though it is pre-recorded. He works for TigerDetails.com. It's the LSU rival site. If you are interested in reading a little bit more on the LSU perspective, then uh, you can go check them out. But in the meantime, here's my interview with Jarrett from a little bit earlier today. And then uh, Chris and I will be back to finish out the show and uh, answer any and all of your questions. And as promised, joined now by Jarrett Roser, TigerDetails.com, to talk a little bit about this South Carolina LSU matchup and to give us some you know, the LSU perspective, as always, each week, we like to have somebody from our Rivals Network to give us a little bit more on South Carolina's opponent. Jarrett, I know it's uh, it's busy times. It's been a weird year, man. How's uh, how's everything going in Baton Rouge? Yeah, weird year, weird week. Uh, LSU coming off of what they thought was going to be a trip to Florida, but turns into an unexpected bye week with the Gators going through a COVID outbreak this past week and probably comes at a good time for the Tigers who had been struggling defensively in a way that I don't think many people in Baton Rouge ever thought they'd expect to see over a a few games span. And so an opportunity to try to correct some of those things and also to try and prepare likely their first true freshman starting quarterback since 2014 as Miles Brennan's injury continues to linger. Yeah, so my first question was going to be, what are the chances Miles Brennan plays? Now, obviously, uh, I, I tuned into the teleconference today. Ed O, I mean, he, he really didn't make it sound like there's much of a chance at all. But based on what you guys are hearing, I mean, I, I just listen to Ed O, it seemed like there's like a 95% chance Miles is not playing. What What's your level at right now? Do you think there's any chance Miles Brennan just miraculously plays on Saturday? I'm not expecting that. We're certainly preparing to see either TJ Finley or Max Johnson. I think with O's comments on Monday, he he was less he's he didn't rule out Miles playing as much Monday as he seemed to start to on Wednesday, which obviously he still said Wednesday wasn't a hundred percent chance, but he used that word, you know, something miraculous. He left that door open and so if that's what you're holding out hope for, then it's obviously pretty slim chances. But even Monday when he, he talked about miles trying to heal and hoping that he might be back later in the week, there were a few things that he said that just from being around Owen, being around the program through, through recent years, I could kind of tell that the likelihood was very slim um, even at that point. And so as miles continues to mix practice 
it looks more and more all but certain that we'll see one of those freshmen. And it's just a matter at this point of which one they feel like after Thursday's practice is the guy to get the first snaps. But as O's mentioned, uh, each time he's talked throughout this week, they expect both to play either way. We we talked a bit about them on our show yesterday, uh, even pulled up their old huddle clips. I, I was familiar with Max Johnson. Uh, South Carolina had actually offered Max. I had interviewed him at one of the rivals camps back in the day. Wasn't as familiar with TJ Finley. I know you guys cover recruiting just like we do as well. So, you know, maybe take us back. What can you tell us about the skill set of these two guys? What do you remember about them in high school? And, uh, you know, whichever one plays, what can South Carolina fans expect as, as far as their ability and their skill set? Yeah, I mean, both big kids as as tall and kind of prototypical look as, as Max brings at 6'5", TJ is an even bigger kid. Uh, arrived to campus at 6'6", about 260, I want to say, before trimming down. And he's someone that just right down the road, about 30 or 45 minutes east of Baton Rouge and Ponchatoula played his high school ball. And so folks locally were really familiar with him and has always been known for his big arm. He can move a little bit too. And certainly that's something that they feel that much more confident in his ability as he's trimmed down and gotten into uh you know, a better shape at, at the college level that when he needs to scramble, he can be effective doing so. Uh, Miles, on the other hand, still very good arm, but they talk about him being more athletic and and faster than, than TJ and, and maybe even more so than Joe Burrow, which I think kind of opened some eyes when O mentioned that on Monday because that was an area of, of Joe Burrow's game that was really effective for this LSU offense when he needed to run and, and pick up some big conversions uh, or, or if things weren't open downfield, he was able to do so. And so there are a lot of similarities in the guys, but they feel confident in either um, with just, you know, slightly different standouts in, in different areas with TJ, maybe a little bit stronger of an arm max, a little bit faster, but uh, both able to do pretty much anything that I think these coaches would hope for them to be able to do. I know sometimes you sort of pick up little tidbits here or there. Had y'all picked up anything, just maybe even back to preseason camp and as the year has gone on, about which guy was the actual backup to Miles Brennan as far as – I know Ed Orgeron has not really said who may have an edge as far as actually getting the start. Obviously, it's hard to predict right now because it's going to be who – I would imagine who just handles the team and handles all the little things in practice this week probably gets the first shot at it. But just, you know, floating around uh, there locally, has there been any word on, on who may have that edge? I don't think so. I mean, if I had to bet on one, for whatever reason, I'm leaning a little bit more toward Max based on just a couple of questions and the way a couple of the players have answered the dynamic of protecting a left-handed quarterback. And I mean, that could be taken with a grain of salt, but I, th- I think it is kind of a, an open dynamic this week where they're waiting to see who leads the team better. That's something that, that O and, and the staff have talked about in that they feel really confident in either player's skill set. And they're just interested to see more of the, the intangible pieces of, of how they lead the team and how they handle the situation. And so I think ultimately the Tigers are waiting to see how Saturday plays out. If, if both these guys have an opportunity to play, regardless of which one starts, which one plays more down the stretch of that game may develop as the game continues and just seeing how they handle that live action, because that's kind of the, 
the biggest variable for for those two young players that the coaches have really been waiting to see how how they handle the increasing spotlight and responsibility. Yeah, and I, I know um, Muschamp has has really talked highly of this LSU offense, and you know, obviously from the outside looking in, we see, hey, they lost all these guys. Obviously, lost Joey Burrow, lost Joe Brady, who is now OC with my Carolina Panthers here down the road, and you know, I, I think from the outside looking in, one of the biggest questions was going to be how much does this offensive scheme change with with new players and and obviously. Uh, you know, no Joe Brady. So uh, to that end, I know Muschamp has said, hey, these guys threw 11 touchdown passes in the first three games, Miles Brennan did. And I think they've sort of picked up where they left off to an extent on side of, uh, on that side of the ball, maybe all things considered with, with what they lost. So what, what can you tell us? Have, have you seen much of a difference in the philosophy and the scheme on the offensive side, or is it more just been about plugging different guys in and getting them comfortable, but it's still sort of a similar approach on that side. I think it's been pretty similar. And you've seen, particularly this year, compared to historical LSU teams, you've seen them continue to throw the ball around much more like what we saw last year or the past two years, where Miles is even in that loss to Missouri coming off of a 400-yard performance that I think it's just the seventh in LSU history to have a quarterback pass for over 400 yards. And four of those, I believe, were Joe Burrow. So he's one of just four quarterbacks to ever surpass that total. He's the first LSU quarterback to throw for over 300 yards in three in his three straight starts to, to start his career. And so he's he's doing some things, completing north of 60 percent of his passes and, and for over 300 or 400 yards. And, uh, you know, I think he's he's at an average of between three and four touchdowns a game um, at this point. They're still doing a lot of that. They still have some playmakers around him. Terrace Marshall Jr. is a guy that was as highly recruited as Jamar Chase coming out of high school, and he's still there and having some huge games. They bring in uh, the, the big tight end Gilbert from outside of Atlanta, who is taking on an increasing role and has a chance to be one of their best playmakers on that side of the ball, even as a true freshman, and a deep receiving core with – with different guys getting involved at different points and having kind of a, a hot hand sort of approach that second receiver alongside Terrace Marshall in each game. I think the biggest difference for me has been you haven't had Clyde Edwards Elaire and what he was able to bring to that running back position as a, as a receiver. And so some of that's looked different with this trio that they have now and they haven't run the ball as effectively uh, at all. And part of that is, the difference in running backs and part of that is the skill set that Burrow brought in that regard. So you haven't seen as much of the the read option dynamic to to let Brennan get out there and run that that you saw develop with Burrow. Yeah, you're you're reading my mind, man. Um, what what can you tell us about the running game so far? And uh, I'm not really familiar with with these backs yet. So maybe uh, just give us a little preview. What can South Carolina fans? expect both from the running game just in general o-line play what you've seen from them and uh, maybe just a quick preview of of the backs and and the skill sets that we're going to see on Saturday yeah sure the o-line some struggles out the gate against Mississippi State but has improved since then Um, they were without Ed Ingram up at at Missouri which I know was you know one of the reasons that uh, they left kind of disappointed with some of that play but they've They've had some inconsistencies, but I think have been improving up front. And as far as the 
backfield, they have Chris Curry, who's a third-year sophomore, and then two second-year sophomores and John Emery Jr. and Ty Davis-Price, a couple of in-state guys that were highly recruited prospects. And I think all three of them are players that LSU feels comfortable with and, and feels like they can you know, have some success running the ball, have some success – as receivers, but none necessarily bring as complete a game to the table as Clyde did a year ago. And so they're still kind of figuring out what that, that rhythm or rotation looks like from those guys. Uh, one of the most encouraging points I thought for this offense early in the season was when Chris Curry was held out of the Vanderbilt game kind of last minute, realizing that he wasn't going to be able to go um, after kind of battling just being banged up a little bit that week. They, they'd they hoped he would, but had to pull him out. And then John Emery comes in and rushes for over 100 yards and easily his biggest performance far and away of his young career thus far. And he's kind of the guy that I think has always been viewed as the highest ceiling and just the biggest playmaking ability. The I mean, the opportunity to do more with the ball in his hands and, and break more big plays. And you hadn't seen him put that together thus far. And so to see him do that in that second week on the road was really encouraging, uh, but then turn around and have another rough day running the football at Missouri, where the Tigers are one of just two teams in the sec averaging less than a hundred yards rushing. And when Mississippi state's not really trying to do it at all, uh, it's not a good place to be for, for LSU that as much as they do throw the ball more now, they want to be more successful running than they've been able to through three games. Yeah. So you, you mentioned uh, Terrence Marshall jr. Earlier and, Man, I mean, it's a credit to how well LSU has recruited that position that they lost what they did, you know, to the NFL. And then this kid just steps in and is still amazing for him this year. Looking forward to a matchup that we've talked about a bunch around here. Him against J.C. Horn, I think, should be really, really fun for everybody. We saw Horn against Seth Williams last week and, and what happened there. So what was was this really expected Um from Marshall this year and and what can you tell us we've all looked at the numbers but what can you tell us about what he actually has done sort of uh, what does he do well what's sort of his game that's made him such a big threat for LSU in that passing game I think that folks that had been around Terrace kind of expected him to take that big step forward I'd had a chance to see him a ton in high school both a little bit with his high school team where he and uh, Izzy Mukwamu played for Parkway up in the northwest corner of the state, but also a ton on the seven-on-seven circuit where he and Jamar Chase and a lot of those guys were part of the same bootleggers organization that had produced Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry and Tredavious White and Dante Jackson and a lot of top Louisiana defensive backs and wide receivers through the years. And Terrace was a guy that was such a good combination of size and speed at the high school level and I mean, could beat most defensive backs that were trying to cover him in terms of his speed, but also at 6'3", and now he's up to 200. He's, he's obviously, I mean, packed on a little bit of muscle the past couple of years, but at that point he was able to be more physical and out-leap most defensive backs, and he's been a big target through his career at LSU now. Uh, he He had an injury his senior year of high school that kind of took him a little bit out of the spotlight for a while there and took him some time to get comfortable again as he started his college career. And then right as he seemed to be hitting his stride again to start last year and was actually leading the team in touchdown receptions 
early in the season, uh, he gets injured again. And so he had to miss a few weeks and that's where Jamar and Justin Jefferson kind of took off and, and took over that, that touchdown race. But he was a guy that was leading that early before missing time. And so coming back now this year, feeling confident, feeling healed and having that many more targets to come his way. I mean, he was a guy that was looking at putting up those same sort of numbers for this team as what we saw from the two guys that ended up leading the pack last year. And that's kind of what we've seen so far. All right. So we got to talk a little defense, man. I know it's probably um, not, not a great topic for that's the less fans. Fun. Yeah. I mean, it's not a great topic for the fans on your message boards. I'm sure. Um, I know they've been fired up and so, and I know this, this may be a long answer because the thing about football, it's never one thing when something's going wrong. It's never really just, it's this, it's really a lot of times a combination of things, but as much as you can sort of whittle it, whittle it down, how in the world is, has LSU gotten to this point on defense? Because when I think of LSU, I think of defenses that honestly are kind of just scary for opponents. You know, great pass rushers, lockdown defensive backs is what I think of with, with LSU. And, and guys that will hit you in the secondary, big, long, talented defensive backs. What has happened so far to this LSU defense? And is there some hope that it can, can get turned around? Yeah, that, that first week against Mississippi State, I used the word abysmal and then didn't know how to up that when they went out to Missouri and, and had a similar sort of showing. They, they've struggled so much this year in a way that, just like you said, is, is not expected from anyone that has any level of familiarity with LSU's program and knows they they hang their hat on that side of the ball they I mean they typically live up to that moniker of DBU and and doing very well in the secondary and Louisiana produces defensive linemen and defensive backs as much as any other position on the football field and, and LSU has thrived on that and so to see them come out and struggle the way they have has been really surprising confusing frustrating and that's why so much blame locally has has fallen on Bo Pelini's shoulders as the new defensive coordinator uh, back again after, you know, his time at Nebraska and, and Youngstown and, and whatnot since his, his previous stay in Baton Rouge. And I think you look at a defense that has as much as people talk about Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson and Clyde edwards Elay are all gone. The defense lost a ton as well. I mean, this, this team as a whole, only returns five guys that started in that national championship game. And so you have one defensive lineman, one cornerback and one safety that they kind of use all over the field. And everyone else is, is new to their roles certainly. And in a lot of cases new to the program as a whole, and they come into a situation where LSU was transitioning from a three, four to a four, three in a really weird off season where there's, less opportunity to get together and and put work in and then you get into fall practice and suddenly you're dealing with COVID issues where you're missing guys for a couple of weeks at a time as they quarantine if they were in contact with someone that had the thing and so what we've seen early this season is a lot of very talented football players who are having a really difficult time being where they need to be making the right reads and communicating with one another and just ending up with tons of 
blown coverages where you're watching Missouri players with no one within 20 yards of them waltzing into the end zone uh, for, for big scores in, in that game two weeks ago. I think the optimism is you do still have a ton of talent, even though they, they have been young and they have had some growing pains. They've done really well at getting after opposing quarterbacks, one of the top couple teams in the country in terms of sacks and hurries uh, per game. And they've done well at takeaways and enforcing some turnovers, same sort of thing, one of the top in the country. And so I talk about them as being either really big plays in a positive way or really big plays in a negative way. And if they can kind of shore up some things in what they've done over the last two weeks and in, in simplifying some of those reads, simplifying the communication, then there are some positives that, that are already there in place. They've just got to kind of take care of the consistency level and let those other things hopefully still carry over as well. Yeah, and so so maybe the the random uh, COVID bye week uh, ends up being something that that LSU could use. I, I think anytime you're having busts like they have, taking a week just to focus on yourself a, a little bit, um, you know, could could be a blessing for this group. So we'll we'll see what that looks like on Saturday. Uh, Jarrett, final thing, man, I I won't make you give a prediction or anything, but what uh, what's your feel on how this game could play out um, as far as just flow of the game or some keys to the game just what's your what are your expectations for this matchup on Saturday I think a lot for me will come down to the I mean the pass rushes and pass protections on either side uh which which side is able to better protect their quarterback and and help establish the run game is going to be huge I mean as as is the case in in most games and I know for for LSU in particular this week as much as they've wanted to get that running game going better anyway, now that you have these two freshmen that are likely to split all of the reps at quarterback, having the ability to get some of that going and having the offensive line be able to hold up its end of the bargain, both in the, the rushing attack and pass pro is, is going to be so critical for them. And I think, you see both teams probably run the ball to where we're not looking at as high scoring of a game as, as what we've seen in these LSU games thus far this season. And ultimately probably another close game that, that could get interesting late. Um, you know, whether, whether that's exciting or concerning for LSU fans, I don't know, but I, I think it's going to be interesting in that second half. Yeah. South Carolina this year tends to find itself, um, you know, in, in fourth quarter games, it seems like, and whether they've been able to win those games or not has sort of just been about who's made the plays late and um, and in some cases who's made the mistakes late. So we'll see what happens this Saturday, South Carolina at LSU. Uh, dude, Jarrett, good stuff, man. We appreciate it. And uh, for those of you watching, if you want to read up on the LSU Tigers, go to tigerdetails.com. Check out Jarrett and their entire team. Uh, all the work on there, it's great, and they'll have uh, nonstop coverage of this game and more on TigerDetails.com. Jarrett, we appreciate it, man. Appreciate you, Wes. All right, that's Jared Roser, as you saw, TigerDetails.com, previewing LSU. Interesting stuff, as always. We'll always learn something from our friends on the Rivals Network. And I don't, I don't know, man. I, I feel like for the most part, from what I had already read throughout the week, um, we, we knew most of what was going on at LSU. Most interesting thing for me, though, uh, was sort of him talking about, and, and I think he, he said Miles, he was actually talking about Max when he was going you know, back and forth about the, the two quarterbacks and the skill sets there. 
is that Max Johnson may be a little more athletic than given credit for. And then his his guess, he admitted it's it's a complete guess, gut feel, that that Max Johnson might be the first guy to get reps. Obviously, with both both guys are gonna play, it, it appears. So uh, that that to me was probably my biggest takeaway, especially on the offensive side uh, from what uh, Jarrett had to say. Yeah, definitely. I mean, th- that for LSU, there are some key questions, but everybody's going to look to the quarterback first, you know, particularly when it's a guy, you know, in Miles Brennan, who's had a lot of success. The, the The problem with this LSU team, not that the offense has been perfect, and certainly not that it's the 19 squad, which, man, that's anybody following up those guys, that's, that's just unfair almost, right? But uh, the defense has really been the letdown. And so there are two main questions – for this game and going forward until they do get Miles Brennan back is, A, who's playing quarterback, you know, and how does that affect things? And then, B, defensively, can they get on the same page? You know, I was putting together our star power piece that we run every week. Go check that out on Gamecock Central if you're a member. You can you can check it out in full. But they have a lot of talent. Something Jarrett mentioned on the defensive side of the ball, there's a lot out there, man. I think they might have three five-star guys in the secondary um, they got talented linebackers, talented guys up front. They have been good rushing the passer, as Jarrett said. The problem has been the bust. I mentioned that crazy Missouri game last week. I mean, everybody saw Mississippi State pass for 3,000 yards in the first game against LSU. The Missouri game was a disaster for those guys, too, in a lot of cases. Uh, players running open. One of Missouri's early touchdowns, you know, it was a, a far back angle there was nobody in the screen <laughs> except for a Missouri player just running wide open down the field and catching the ball. Absolutely nobody around them. They had several busts in that game. So, you know, I think the point is defensively they've got to clean some things up. The 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 scary part, I guess, if you're South Carolina, if you look at it, you say, man, they still got a lot of talent. If they can figure it out, if they can play assignment football, they could be tough. And then offensively, of course, the quarterback is going to draw the lion's share of attention, but the problem is they still have some really talented offensive players too, you know, led by Marshall, Gilbert, Chris Curry, John Emery, former five-star running back. So they got a lot of guys on that side of the ball as well. Man, so I'm, I am I go into this game, I, I've got a feeling LSU – I'm not going to say they get right, but but in a lot of ways, I, I think on defense, they, they do find a way to, to get right because, like you said, it's clearly a talented group. And, you know, I, I think it was – was it Ellis Johnson? And I wish I – I don't want to misquote him here. He, he used to say basically, you know, when you if you have a guy, the fastest guy on defense, um, that, it, that basically means you got to make sure he's running the right direction because the fastest guy on the defense, that just means he can get further – out of position, um, you know, faster. And I don't know what the exact saying was, but when you have a bunch of athletes as LSU does and you have a new defensive coordinator, which LSU does, and maybe if things don't just mesh right, right off the bat and you're doing some different things schematically, I mean, I mean, it's hard if you're, if you're not comfortable with what you're doing, trying to play fast. And sometimes you know, your athleticism literally can't – if you're running yourself out of a play, you can run yourself even, to Ellis's point, farther out of a play if you you know if you don't know what you're doing. So they're talking about simplification. For one, that's never a good sign when a coach starts saying mm-hmm. those words because that means you've struggled. 
but some, sometimes it works, and, and sometimes you have overcomplicated things, and you just need your athletes to be able to go be athletes. And we, we've talked about South Carolina. We've talked about the issues they've had as far as playmakers on offense at times. So can, can they get to a point, they being LSU, where they can just let these guys go play and play fast and, and have a good time? Maybe LSU next year, maybe you reinstall some of the stuff. But for now, I, I really think having that just non-expected you know expected bye week could be huge for LSU. And, you know, when you look at the talent on paper now, is there a possibility that some of those guys are just, you know, overrated? Is that a possibility? Absolutely. That can happen. Is there a possibility that there's a letdown coming off of the high of last year and and winning it all? I mean, that's a possibility, too. But a lot of these guys that are out there right now, they should be really hungry because it's not the same kids that, that were out there last year. So. I think you look at it, LSU, if, if I'm a Carolina fan going into this one, if you're listening or watching to us right now, man, I'm not going into this game in any way thinking that South Carolina is going to just go up and down the field on an LSU defense at LSU. Now, I, I could be wrong. They could look just as uh, bad, frankly, as they have so far this year. But generally when you have sort of that boom or bust, and, and that's what – uh, Jarrett was talking about they're they're making some big plays that cha- that can change games, but then they're turning around and sort of allowing some big explosive plays as well. When that happens, it's usually assignment, mental, and then frankly things that can be cleaned up. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think anybody needs to be licking their chops about going down there and, and matching up as much as they've struggled. So what you said, I want to hit on that about what you said about simplifying. That's something we've talked about that. How many times you hear coaches say, well, we're struggling, we got to simplify. And then supposedly they simplify and guess what? They're still bad. You know, we hear that a lot. A lot of times, um, if you're like, if you're simplifying with a team that doesn't have talent, then you may be even worse because then you're taking away some of the smoke and mirrors that make you effective. Um, LSU is a team that, yeah, maybe some of the guys are, you know, they could have some overvalued, overrated guys, but even what you see on the team, you can tell they've got athletes. They've got some guys up front. They've got guys that can run at linebacker, that can cover in secondary, that can move. And so uh, the issue has really – you don't look at them and say, this team just doesn't have the horses. You look at them and say they're out of position a lot. So if they do indeed simplify some, they might be capable of playing a lot better. I think what Mike Bobo is going to look at is he's going to be looking at their tape and sort of try to anticipate what they may change, you know, anticipate what they may simplify and then try to scheme up some ways of let's still try to get them out of position here. What can we do really well against this team? Watch back the Missouri tape. Missouri, um, a lot of their plays were big explosive plays where LSU was out of position or they used – some speed plays, you know, they used, um, I remember a reverse that went for a big play. Um, some things that they schemed up a little sort of pop pass to the, to the tight end. So they schemed up some things, but they also had some guys with speed that hurt LSU because they were out of position. And so when I look at it and translate it, different type of offense that South Carolina is going to bring. So I still think there are plenty of question marks, you know, about South Carolina moving the ball, um, but if LSU is out of position as much as they have been the first few weeks, 
that could be a good sign for the Gamecocks. Yeah, and you know, frankly, if if you're Bobo and you're looking at it, you're really probably trying to look, hey, what what are they majoring in on defense? They're they're probably if they're already having issues, they're not gonna try to reinvent the wheel in, in one off week. So yeah. I, I think you can probably will there be wrinkles potentially, yes, but for the most part, I think you can get a decent idea. And and yeah, but I mean Bo Pelini's been in He's been around long enough that you probably have a good idea for what his defensive principles are and, and what he likes to uh, major in on, on defense as far as that goes. So we'll see that. I mean, there there are some really intriguing battles within, you know, as far as this game. Matchups, you know, we talked about Terrace Marshall Jr. and in, uh, in, uh, Horn. Obviously, Pelini versus Bobo and, and really how, how LSU offensively sort of tries to to manage their quarterbacks and how they switch out their quarterbacks. Does one of those guys get a hot hand and just sort of get to go, um, you know, the rest of the way? Who, who knows? We'll see. So all those things are going to be very interesting to watch play out. Um, had a couple of questions on here. Somebody had asked uh, – somebody said – Muschamp said Jalen Brooks. Um, he wasn't sure if Jalen Brooks would play this week. I, I don't know who's, who uh, said Muschamp said that, but Mush, Muschamp said Jalen Brooks will play this week. They're not sure – if he will start, but he will definitely play. Um, let's see. That that's that's about all I got for today. If y'all got any like really big burning questions, we'll hit them. I know there's a lot of people on here right now, but we're hitting the hour mark, and don't want to completely give away everything we got. When we still got two shows to do. Sometimes right. we hit that Thursday show, and I'm like, man, we already talked about everything. We could possibly talk about, dude, Chris. I, I know we we want to give a shout out to uh, some of our new Gamecock Central subscribers. We've had a bunch of guys and girls hop on. Really big week for Gamecock Central. Shout out to everybody that got in. I, I know some of our our loyal watchers and listeners here on the live show slash podcast are now Gamecock Central premium subscribers. And hey, if you if you didn't get in, um, you can still sign up. Come on over and uh, say hello to us. Yeah, man. Really appreciate everybody. I have recognized a lot of names of people on YouTube, on Facebook, that took us up on our recent promo that joined us. So we really appreciate the support. Um, Been uh, seeing some of you even post on there on Gamecock Central on the Insiders Forum. So really good to interact with everybody on there. We're on there all the time. If an hour a day is not enough for you, then come on over and you can check out all of our written content as well. If you got any other questions, you can come ask anytime on the Insiders Forum, get access to all our content there, and uh, we would love to have you. Lots of people joining up and lots of good feedback so far on their experiences too. Yeah, and uh, if you want to sign up right now, um, let's see, Toby on Facebook. I tell you what, Toby, if you send me an email, Wes at GamecockCentral.com, I will – I'll shoot you some information on how to get signed up and get subscribed. That goes for everybody. If you're on here, if you missed the deal and you want to get signed up, um, give us a shout, Wes at GamecockCentral.com, and we'll uh, we'll let you know what your options are there. Daniel Brooks's speed is um, – uh, Daniel Graham asked about Jalen Brooks. Speed is good, man. I mean, he's – I don't know what he's been timed at lately. Chris, do you know? I mean, I've, I've heard him as being like a, a 4-4-4-5 type guy. Um, as far as hand timed, I, I don't know exactly what it would be. 
Um, and no, Brent, GoGamecocks.com would not be how you find us. You find us at GamecocksCentral.com. Uh, there you go. There we go. Yeah. Um, yeah, we got a lot of people have joined. Yeah, Kyle, so I don't know if y'all saw while we were doing the show, I think LSU, did the, did the hammer get dropped? Or, or have you read any of this yet, Chris? No, I, it, it was during the show, so I haven't been able to read yeah. all of it quite yet. Do you have it up there? I don't know. I'm going to try to pull it up real quick. Um, but I don't, I don't know if y'all have had a chance to to read what's going on. So Odell Beckham Jr. is banned from LSU for, for two years. Is that right? Yeah, and LSU has um, – they've self-imposed some penalties. This is from, from SI, Ross Dellinger, Pat Forty, you know, teamed up on it. But basically they're going to have to dock – it's basically like a probation, you know, um, eight football scholarships over a two-year period. They're going to have to reduce some recruiting visits and evals and communications. So um, basically there was a booster payment to a former football player and then some of the Odell Beckham stuff. Um, I, guess, I guess this is coming from when he – is this when he handed out the uh, $100 bills? Um yeah, that's it. That is what it's coming from, according to the story. You guys probably remember when OBJ was handing out dollar bills after the hundred dollar bills, rather after the national title games. So now he's banned from their facilities for a couple of years. And uh, yeah, that that one was interesting. Sort of brazen doing that on national TV after <laughs> after a national title game. Don't really know what he was thinking on that one, man. Yeah, yeah, but. That's that's crazy, and yeah, like uh, Beham said, that's what happens when you give people money on national television. Yeah. Um. What are you, what are you doing, man? That's. I don't know, and certainly that's not what you want to be talking about right now or thinking about if you're the LSU program, going you know going into. Uh, I don't know if this is a big game as far as oh you know South Carolina, but it's a big game as far as getting their season right because they're one and two right now, and. Yeah. Who I mean, who knows? They they need a win in a bad way on Saturday. Which which by the way, here here's a question I have for everybody. Save your answers. This is a topic we're gonna get into tomorrow. How many years of bad football? As in, let's say no bowls, losing record. How many years of bad football in a row would you trade? to win a national championship. Don't answer today. Think about it because, you know, you look, the other the team the other team in this state, they they've gotten their titles by sort of building a foundation. LSU, I mean, you you knew if they didn't win it last year, they probably weren't going to go back this year. I mean, they lost so many people off that team, but that that team just basically imploded. New coaches, new players, new everything. So if that's the approach, that's you've got to you've got to sign the deal. Hey, if I win a title in twenty twenty one, I'll give up X number of years of just terrible football. How how many in a row would it be worth? Because LSU fans, I guarantee they're complaining on those message boards right now. But I think if you win a title, you shouldn't be able to complain about the product for at least five years. 
if you win a national championship. That's just me. All right, I think that's going to do it for today. Tons of people on here. If you want to get – as the week goes on, we do more and more sort of Q&A type stuff. So if you're a new watcher or listener, um, come back, join us again. 2 o'clock, I'm guessing, tomorrow, Chris. Uh, 2 o'clock yeah. tomorrow. 1 o'clock, we'll be live from Market on Main. That's downtown Main Street, Columbia, South Carolina. So if you're a new person, we appreciate you joining us. We do this every day during the season. Thanks to AffordableMedicalUSA.com, which is our primary and main sponsor that made the show possible. Uh, He is Chris. I am Wes. And check us out on GamecockCentral.com. Until then, we will see you tomorrow. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Fanduel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text HOPE NY in New York.